Let's turn together to John chapter 15. As we progress through Lent um, on Sundays and in our community groups, we're studying through the, the last things that Jesus said from the cross. And there are, are seven things that he said, and there are seven Sundays in Lent, and so that works out super well. Uh, this is the fourth statement, and um, we pull from different gospels to kind of piece these together to give us a complete idea of kind of what, what happened that day. And so um, to kind of get even more into the moment, not that you need any help after seeing that last one, um, if you think of the, the timeline of Holy Week, you have Palm Sunday, then Jesus, uh, where he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and everyone was going crazy, just thinking, thinking like this is our, like here's our military general that's gonna lead us back into uh, world dominance. And uh, then Jesus spent the next couple of days teaching at the temple, um, basically telling them, hey, that's not what's happening. There's something even better that's happening. Uh, But they didn't really get it. Thursday night, he spent with his disciples in the upper room uh, sharing the Passover meal, which he uh, like redesigned and uh, gave them a new meal, which we have uh, here for us this morning as one of our options in terms of response. And so they have that meal together and uh, they go to Gethsemane for Jesus to pray. Um, so around midnight, he was uh, arrested on that Thursday night. Around sunrise, he was put on trial. Uh, around eight o'clock, he was sentenced uh, as guilty, and uh, they began to prepare him for crucifixion, which they would scourge them. They would basically beat them just short of death. And then around nine, he was actually crucified, around nine in the morning. And then around noon is when we pick up in verse 33. And uh, so from noon, from this point until around sundown, let's say six o'clock, Uh, These things kind of stretched out a little bit. Um, So verse 33 says, When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink and said, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Now, John's account gives us uh, some more sayings, which we'll talk about in the next week from the cross. But uh, in Mark's gospel, this is 
how he ends his recollection of, uh, how he ends his gospel based on Peter's recollection of things. And it seems as though the, the weight of the, the moment is setting in even more. Um, not only in the physical suffering that he's gone through up to this point, uh, but also the, the emotional, the, the relational, uh, this was a holistic suffering for Jesus. And there's a lot that's been made of this particular statement of him saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the points I will actually just end up touching on in the next couple of weeks, uh, some of the, the maybe, maybe things that you would consider to be more like theological things and all that will get unpacked a little more in the weeks to come. This morning, I want to just focus on the statement itself and try to get into the context of what him saying that in, in, in this moment, how that would have been received to those who are hearing it, and perhaps try to get into the mind of Christ a little bit. And in studying through this, I kept coming, coming away with this kind of two, two different ways of looking at it. And I kept asking myself, like, was he being really strategic here or was he just in the moment? Um, and it seems like both of those things are true. That there, from one perspective, um, he was was like trying to communicate something huge. And then from another perspective, he's also like doing what comes naturally to him. And I'll get to that in just a second. We think about his previous statements. Uh, the first one, he says, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." Um, that's kind of both, right? Like he's in the moment where he's like dialoguing with the father about the crucifixion that's happening, but it's also really theologically rich, you know? Um, then he has the, has the criminals on each side and he tells, tells the one on, I keep going left. So let's say left, uh, today you will be with me in paradise. And so that's in the moment, but it also has a lot of theological power to it. Um, last week we talked about him, him entrusting the care of his mother to uh, one of his disciples, John, and how, again, that's kind of in the moment and at the same time, like really, really rich, robust theologically. Uh, this one at first seems to be like ex- extremely theological because everyone likes to focus on the forsaken part of it. Has God abandoned Jesus in this moment? Uh, even down to, you know, we sing that kind of modern hymn, uh, How Deep the Father's Love, and it says, the Father turned his face away. You know, we're like, ooh, that's intense, right? And it is intense. And that, that tends to be what we gravitate toward in this, this particular verse. So what I want to do is put off some of that stuff to the next couple of weeks because it really links in together. Let's just really try to figure out, is Jesus being strategic? Is this a teaching point? Or is he responding to the moment? All the other ones have had a little bit of both. Maybe this one also has a little bit of both. And that's really what I come away with is like, yes, it is strategic. And yes, it is not strategic at the same time. Let's start with, let's start with, the, with the not strategic part of it. Um, when I say no, this is not strategic. Here's, here's what I mean by this. That this was a natural response that Jesus had in the moment. Um, He's doing what he was trained to do. 
When I say trained, I mean like he grew up in a Jewish home, in a Jewish community. He went to synagogue. He would have done all of the, all of the things that we know to be true about uh, like, like Judaism. He would have practiced all of those things. And one of the things that we know about, about that particular pursuit of faith is that they pray and they worship. So it would make sense that here's Jesus on the cross. What is he doing? He's praying and he's worshiping. This particular kind of prayer and worship is what we have now labeled as lament. Um, It is not the most familiar thing to us, though, here in the West. Uh, But lament is what he's doing. Um, He is praying and worshiping in a really specific way. Uh, so what is lament? Lament is very simply, it's talking to God about your pain. Um, it's when you turn to him, instead of doing what you really want to do, which is withdraw from him, run away from him, blame him, get angry at him, disconnect from him, take the bull by the horns yourself because he's not doing a very good job of being God in this moment and you would do a much better job, and so uh, let's, let's go with that plan. Instead of doing that, you are like, no, I'm gonna look God in the eye, so to speak, and I'm gonna talk to him about what I am feeling right now. In my distress, the way that Job said it in, in uh, chapter 16, the second half of verse 20, he said, my eyes pour out tears to God. That's what it is. It's pouring out your tears to God. Um, It's not whining and complaining. The Israelites, remember on their journey from Egypt and they're not quite to the promised land yet and they began to grumble and to complain. And who did they complain to? They complained to one another and then they complained to Moses and that is not lament. That is complaining. That is whining. That is something we are really good at in our culture, right? We're experts at that. Lament is taking those complaints, okay, those like legitimate pains, the things you want to protest, the injustice you want to point out, and you are telling it directly to the Lord. That's lament. When I say that Jesus is doing what he was trained to do, here's, here's what I mean, is that uh, in the Jewish community, they, they, their prayer experience was different than our prayer experience. Our prayer experience is a little more, uh, a little more, like I told the first service, more like jazz, you know, like we're kind of like scatting our way through prayers. We're kind of like praying about this and praying about this and praying about this and whatever comes to mind, you know. Meg came up here earlier and prayed and she prayed what was on her heart, like it's improv. Uh, and that's fine, nothing wrong with that at all. But if you grew up in the time when Jesus grew up and you were Jewish, you would not pray your own words. They would say, what better words to offer up to God than his own words? And so they memorized the Psalms and they prayed the Psalms. And when you have 150 Psalms to pull from, you can, and you have them memorized because that's a part of what it means to be a good Jewish boy, good Jewish girl, is that you're memorizing those scriptures, you, you have those psalms to pull from. You're praying God's own words back to himself 
And that's how they prayed. Over, over half of the Psalms that we have in the book of Psalms are considered lament in some sort of way. Some say it's even more, it's even more like two-thirds. So think of it, half to two-thirds of these Psalms are psalmists sitting down and pouring out their tears to God about the pain that they have. Not to their spouse, not to their friends, not to the strangers, not to their leaders, to God directly, that is lament. Don't hear me saying you shouldn't talk to your community about your stuff, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that sometimes it's easy to leave God out of the mix. And that's not what the Psalms do, and it's not what Jesus does. Lament is a spiritual discipline of ours that we should be practicing and engaging in. And so from that perspective, Jesus is doing what came naturally to him, which is to pray and to praise and to worship the Lord by grabbing onto a psalm of lament and, and by speaking the first word, you, he's referencing the rest of it, which I'll get to in a second. But I came across something not too long ago, and I said this in some previous sermons, that there are some who believe that Jesus didn't say this, that he sang it. Now, can you imagine what it would be like to hear our Savior singing a psalm of lament from the cross. Like it's haunting, you know? And yet, that's exactly what the practices of his faith taught him, would have taught him to do. And so in that sense, it's not strategic as much as it is a natural way of how Jesus lived his life. It's incredible, I think. That's a little hard for us to grasp because we don't really practice this discipline very often, do we? Like we, we might ask God for things. We might pray for uh, the war in Ukraine. We might pray for someone's healing for the restoration of a relationship. We may ask God to do things, but lament is saying, God, I want you, before, before we get to what I like, want to ask you to do, I want to tell you how I feel about it. I want, you to hear, I want you to hear what emotionally is happening within me right now. And I've just spent a lot of time this week and talked with, with Chris about it you know, and getting the CG material ready. It's like, how do, we, how do we do this? And just began to like realize like a part of why we don't lament is because we're not taught necessarily to lament. Like our, our churches maybe have not trained us well in this discipline, but also like we're, we're not necessarily emotionally healthy as a culture, are we? Like we're, we're not always in tune with what we're feeling and that's probably because when you go back to our upbringings, a lot of us, meaning like our like generations right now, didn't come from upbringings where your emotions were seen as a good thing. Like, like a, 
if we were to like to spike in some sort of way, or maybe go, maybe think of like a spectrum. Like if you have like a a really like a joyful or like happy celebratory spectrum, and then a really really sad one. That all of our adults were trying to keep us in the middle, because when you went to too far to one way or the other way, we got on their nerves. And so they're all you're trying to regulate us a little bit. Now, emotional regulation is good and important and healthy and necessary, and we should be doing that, okay? But when you're a kid and you're super jacked because it's your birthday, the last thing that needs to be happening is the adults being like, hey, so calm down. It's just a birthday. It's fine. Or when you were distraught over something, the last thing you need is an adult saying, you need to quit your crying right now. You are disproportionately reacting to the situation, four-year-old. However, let's just admit it. There's a lot of that happening from adult to child. And some of what that does for us as people is it teaches us that, oh, yeah, my emotions are not okay for everyone. You ever been talking to someone and they get emotional and they start crying and they apologize for crying? Like, I'm sorry, I'm crying. I'm sorry, I'm crying. Why? Why would you ever apologize for that? It's because we've been told that we're too much. The extremes are, are, are like, they're too much for other people. So you gotta, you gotta button it up, you know? When that happens over and over and over again and, th- and then you grow up and you become an adult who doesn't even maybe know how to assess your feelings, much less articulate them and express them. I'm not here to beat up on anybody's parents or anything like that. And if some of you parents are sitting there being like, we did that today on the way to church. Like, I know. I talked to your kid in the hallway. They told me. (laughs) Not about that. But can we just recognize what that does to us? And then we just project that onto the Lord and we're like, I'm I just need to ask him for what I, I need to pray for what I'm praying for. I don't need to like be all emotional about it. I don't need to bring my pain to him. Because we have a tendency to make God just like the adults in our lives. So we have to, we have to let him speak to that. And I think a part of what we see here is Jesus showing us something. He's showing us that he's making it safe to pray these kinds of prayers. And that God is the kind of God who wants to know if you feel forsaken. Like you're not too much for the Lord. And so the Psalms of Lament, you know, the, the book of Psalms is, I heard this a, a while back and it's really stuck with me that Psalms are there that, to teach us how to pray. And when you're like, oh, I really want to like learn how to pray. I want to want my prayer life to get somewhere. It's like you don't need you don't need necessarily like this trick or this little way or this kind of thing. We really need to study the scriptures. Go read 150 of these examples. Like Tim Keller says that it's 150 examples of things that it's okay to say to God. So as we're learning to do this, and as we're it's just showing us over and over and over again that. God is like he wants that emotional outpouring. Ultimately, lament 
is a, it's a, a prayer of trust. It's saying, I trust your character enough to know that I can be completely honest with you about how I'm feeling and I know that you're not gonna go anywhere because you're not flighty like humans are. You don't get your feelings hurt like we do. I don't have to tiptoe around everything. I don't have to you know, uh, navigate around. I don't even have to explain myself to you like I do to others. I can just pour out my tears to you in my distress. It's amazing. And we can do that because I say this with all respect to every one of your mothers and every one of your fathers. God is not like your dad. God is not like your mom. You don't have to navigate that relationship the way that maybe you have had to. That when we bless one another at the end of a service and we, and we talk about the face of God shining upon us, it is the fact that God enjoys you. And when you're hurting, he's hurting with you and he wants to hear about all of it. He's not trying to suppress you. He's not trying to regulate you. He's like, no, no, tell me, tell me all of it. Get all of that out there. Pretty cool. Now, from that perspective, Jesus was just doing, he was praying the way a Jewish person in distress would pray would take a psalm of lament and articulate it to the Lord. Now, here's where the strategy comes in. He could have picked a bunch of them, but he picked 22. So let's turn to 22. Why, why this one? Why the strategy here? If you were to read, as you're turning there, if you were to read Matthew's gospel, Matthew uses Psalm 22, and, and it really highlights how many things are, are written in the psalm that that come true at the crucifixion scene. There's all these details and all these things that those two like overlap so much. And I'm not gonna talk about it from that direction, but I think it's important to recognize that as we go, you're gonna see detail after detail that's happening in the crucifixion story. It's, am- it's amazing. Um, but why, why this one? We'd like to focus on the, on the word forsaken. Why have you forsaken me? And like I said, Next couple of weeks, we'll get into some of those things. But in the Jewish community, you quote a part of a psalm, and it's supposed to launch the whole psalm back into your memory. So you don't have to like sing the whole thing. You could just sing a line from it. Like if I were to sing a line from Amazing Grace, like the first line or a middle line or something like that, I wouldn't have to do the whole thing. It would all come back to you, right? Like this, that's kind of how... It's how songs work. And that's what these all are. They're all songs. So Jesus quotes us, like he sings a song lyric, and then the whole song pops into your head. Now, this particular psalm is about, has two themes. One is uh, what, it, what it means to suffer unjustly. Like you're suffering, you didn't do anything, but yet you are on the receiving end of pain and attack and all that kind of stuff, suffering unjustly. The other is the confidence that God will show up like he is present and he will show up with rescue. So in quoting this psalm, everyone who's listening and Jesus himself and God the Father, all of that would have come to them. 
in quoting that one psalm. It's like he's saying, yes, right now, this looks really bad. There's some really bad things in Psalm 22. The lament is strong. But see, lament is not only pouring out the tears. Lament is also saying, but I know who you are. Like, you don't just unload at God and be like, all right, well, that's it. Lament is saying, this is how I feel, but this is what I know to be true about you and who you are and how you operate and who you are to me and who I am to you. They, they partnered together. It's not, one, it's not only the negative stuff. You partner it with the other. And that's what this psalm does. So it is like Jesus is saying, hey, I feel forsaken, and I bet every one of you are thinking this dude has been forsaken. But don't forget Psalm 22. Don't forget how the psalm ends. If you read the psalm, it goes back and forth between t- like, like that, that painful part of lament and then that victorious part of lament. It goes back and forth the whole time. And so it could be in this moment that the reason he picks this psalm is perhaps, like, perhaps it's one of those moments where Jesus is like, I need to speak this truth over myself. Like maybe the weight of the moment was getting, it was just getting so heavy and so dark that he's like, what can I, I need to grab onto truth. And truth is, this is terrible and I feel forsaken, but truth is also, I know I'm not. Um, like, let's look at some of the, some of the, like, the darker side of it, right? I look at verse, look at one and two. So everything in the psalm would have come to mind. It says, starts off, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. Now, if you are a person which I think you all are, you have been there before. You have been through something where you feel like God has forgotten about you, that he's busy blessing other people. When it says, uh, I cry by day, but you do not answer. Am I on some unanswered prayers? Like even the good prayers, like the Jesus would pray this kind of prayer. You ever, uh, it says, uh, I cry by day, you don't answer, and by night, I find no rest. You ever had things going on that keeps you up at night? And you're like, God, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to, I'm trying to operate inside the kingdom. I'm trying to do what Jesus would do. I'm trying to do all the things. And yet, I haven't heard from you. I haven't sensed you. I don't know. I have no idea what you're up to. And I don't want to go rogue, but I kind of want to go rogue. We've all been there. What a great psalm for Jesus to quote in this moment. As he expresses that. If you look at verse 6. I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by people. All All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Add a little inflection there. It's... You ever been in, that, in those kinds of prayers where it's like, it's, 
it's like interpersonal, you know? It's like people are coming at me. They're talking about me. They're mad at me. They will not, they won't handle things the way we say we're supposed to handle it. There's, they're gossiping about me. They make fun of me. They don't like me. I don't know what to do. Like those kinds of things. Verse 11, be not far from me for trouble is near and there's none to help. We've all felt that. 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. I mean, who hasn't said that before, <laughs> right? My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They pierce my hands and feet. I can count my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. Like, Obviously, some of this is like happening at the crucifixion, but some of it is like this just relatable stuff where you're like, man, like life is super hard and suffering is a real thing. And whether it's, it's about relationships, whether it's about your physical health, whether it's about processing things like, like global war and all this, I mean, it, there's just, there's so, so much. So Jesus is grabbing onto this psalm that covers like feeling forsaken, dealing with, with like kind of this like unanswered prayer kind of thing, all the interpersonal things that are happening to him, like all the, like everything that's going on. But yeah, like I said, the song, the psalm swings back and forth between those kinds of things. And then it says stuff like this, like look at verse three, yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. Verse five, to you, they cried and were rescued and you, they trusted and were not put to shame. See, it's, it's not just, I'm gonna pour out the tears of my pain to you. It's I'm, I'm gonna couple that though with things I know to be true. So you're saying, I, I feel forsaken, but I know I'm not. I'm not going to let my emotions dominate me, but I'm also not going to pretend like my emotions aren't there. That's lament. Verse 10, on you I was cast from birth and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Verse 22, I'll tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, Glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. Just keep going. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And here's a preview. He has not hidden his face from them, but he has heard when he cried to him. Isn't that incredible to say, God, I feel like you're not hearing me, but I know better. What a powerful prayer. How honored God must be by that kind of faith. To say, I'm gonna live by faith and not by sight. Right now, sight is really about my feelings and my feelings are this. Have you ever had all these feelings built up and then you like, you, you pour them out and then suddenly they are less powerful? Ever had that happen? Well, mint gives us that gift in a different way than talking to your spouse does or talking to your friends or your counselor or, or anyone else. It's just different to the Lord. 
27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. The families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, which would be us, that he has done it. All that from the cross. Imagine what that did to Jesus to sing that truth over himself. Imagine what that did to the Father and the Spirit having to witness what is happening. What a gift that was in the midst of this horrible, like the worst moment within the Trinity. Imagine what that was like to be John or his mother, Mary Magdalene, his father, his followers there, like this is the worst thing we've ever seen. And he himself is saying, I know it looks bad. I know it looks like I'm forsaken, but I'm not. And you know it too. It was a moment. This is a moment. The thing that has kept us from being able to have that kind of relationship to God is being dealt with as he's saying all these things. Like our sin that has separated us from a holy God Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? I'm making it okay to pray prayers like this. I'm making it okay to have this kind of walk with God, this kind of relationship. Jesus, once again, he's like, I'm gonna go first. I'm gonna show you that it's safe. I'm gonna show you that everything you're afraid of uh, has lost its power. That you don't have to fear suffering, you don't have to fear war, you don't have to fear disease, you don't have to fear relationship, uh, relationships falling apart, you don't have to fear death. You are going to have to go through the hard stuff, though. And as you do, you have a God who's walking you through it, who wants you to lament, wants you to know you're not too much. That he's given you everything you need for life and for godliness. And so Jesus, as he's dealing with the very thing that keeps us from being able to do this, he's showing us how to do this. He's saying, hey, I'm about to, I'm, about, I'm, I'm like bringing in a completely new way of life for you forever. I'm reading a book right now that's called uh, The Day the Revolution Began talking about Good Friday. And I love thinking of it in those terms where he's like, hey, this is, this is changing the game on, in so many ways. You have no idea. And so we have to lament. Like, we have to. Why, why would we not? It's usually because we talk ourselves out of it. But there's, a, there's that, like, who you really are that wants, that wants this right here. So we just need to listen to the words of our Lord and the example of our Lord. 
and the fact that he's like, no, I'm dealing with your sins so that you can have this kind of prayer. It's kind of a cool way to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. And so, uh, you know, we've, there's some, intentionally we've just sung some like older songs today we haven't done in a while. A part of that is, it is that idea of like, oh yeah, this is a part of my training. This is a part of my, my upbringing. This is part of what I default to. It's what Jesus was doing in those moments. That in your distress, you do what you are trained to do. And he's just kind of retraining us. And so as we respond, we're gonna sing songs we hadn't done in a while. That's fine. Maybe, and that's on purpose to maybe kind of trigger some of those like, oh yeah, oh yeah, God did this, God did this. I remember when I first heard this song and this song was really important here, here, here. You know, maybe that'll happen. Maybe you wanna to lament today. Maybe there's something where you're like, I gotta get this out to the Lord. So maybe you need to pray. Maybe you need to sing. Maybe receiving communion is one of the responses today that for you is like, yes, I, I need to have someone, I, I need to have someone stand there in place of Jesus offering me his body broken for me and his blood poured out for me. That's, I need to receive that. Um, perhaps you need to sing on behalf of someone else. Like maybe, maybe the lament for you is intercessory today. Wherever it reaches your life, that's, that's between you and the Lord. You know? So let's, let's stay in the moment and let's give him these response moments as well. Uh, so let's stand together. And we're gonna sing songs of lament and uh, where both of those parts are present. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the morning that you've given us. Thank you for this, uh, both of these really incredible texts. And may we really like receive very deeply that, that idea of Jesus worshiping you from the cross, like probably singing this, this one line, we, we want to do our best to, to just, we want to soak up all the goodness of that moment in the midst of the horror of that moment. And we want to bring to you all, all that lament really offers, you know, the honesty and also uh, how that partners with what we know to be true and real. And so in these next few moments, whether it's through prayer or song or communion or just being around other people, you know, like listening to the songs of our siblings, whatever needs to happen, Lord. Pray that you would help us to respond in, in ways that are good for us and that are honoring to you above all. We love you very much, and we pray this all in your name. Amen. All right, you can come forward whenever you want, but let's, let's sing, pray together um, this, this morning.